All right. So uh, thank you guys for joining us for another Down the Hatch podcast. We are a little bit off topic in terms of this not being necessarily about swallowing, but it is about the field of speech pathology. So I suspect many will be interesting, interesting, interested. And what we're going to talk about is our field, which is uh, 95% white female. So that's why we're calling it SLP So White. Why are we calling it SLP So White? Because Oscar season has a lot of uh, controversy and they have an Oscar So White hashtag. The Oscars are coming up uh, soon. I think it's this weekend. So I thought, why not talk about our field? And so before we actually jump into the topic, I'm going to introduce, or I'm actually going to have our guests introduce themselves. We have Jessica Forbes and, oh, actually, why don't you introduce yourself? Jump in. Um, Hey, this is uh, Jessica Forbes. I'm a doctor student from Howard University, but I'm a visiting um, doctoral researcher with, you know, ENSA at the University of Iowa. And you have clinical experience. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay, we're just going to stop that. <laughs> well, yeah, I have experience from New York, uh, home care, SNF, and hospital. Awesome. Anu. Hi, I'm Anu um, Subramanian. I usually don't say my last name because nobody else can say it. Um, and I am a clinical associate professor at the University of Iowa. I do stuttering across the age span, and I do um, early childhood kids and for the last 10 years, I've been doing clinical education, um, so supervision, but before that, I worked in an early intervention program. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about why we're talking about this. So in general, it doesn't matter where you are, this idea of diversity is being sort of pushed, floated, discussed everywhere from our presidential candidates to university settings to uh, hospital settings, to industry, to CEOs, and there's a lot of attention being paid to color. Fairly recently, the University of Wisconsin got in trouble for like copying and pasting black faces onto, when I was there, uh, not fairly recently, a while back, um, onto this pamphlets. And then this more recently, they got in trouble for having too many white faces on the pamphlets. So, uh, I think this is a conversation that needs to be had for a couple of reasons in our field. A couple of reasons in our field. One is we are, I think, the most female-dominated field. I think we're 96% female. We are the third whitest field. We beat out farmers. Veterinarians historically are the whitest. We are the third whitest field in the United States. Now, <clears throat> ASHA obviously has something to say about that. When you look at the omnibus study, you see that these statistics hold up. So we're talking about this because the, I guess part of the thing is that I have some questions for you guys, but I just want to highlight who's white and who's not here because it might not be obvious, right? <laughs> Leash, you didn't get to introduce yourself. Give us some history. Well, in case anybody didn't know, I'm white. <laughs> um, so I don't know what you want me to say about myself. Most of you who have been listening um, know me. I'm Alicia. I'm a uh, postdoc in a respiratory physiology laboratory here at the University of Florida in collaboration with Brooks Rehabilitation. And I am a speech pathologist. I practiced for about six years before getting my PhD um, in 2019. So Jess, do you self-identify as African-American? 
<clears throat> I self-identify as black, not African-American. Because your family is Haitian. My mother is Haitian. My father's from St. Vincent. Um, so I identify as Caribbean. Okay. I identify as being black Caribbean. Okay. Anu, do you self-identify? Self-identify? I, I identify as Indian, um, Asian Indian. And I joke to my students, but it's not really a joke, but I said this to my students this week, this last week. I said, I think in the years that I've been in the U.S., which is about a little over 20 years now, I've turned into a middle-aged, middle-class white woman. <laughs> <laughs> Being in the whitest, one of the whitest fields, I feel like I've imbibed a lot of those things. And I'm, one of the whitest states. We're in Iowa right now, right after right. the caucuses. Right. So um, it's pretty white around these parts, right? Um, so uh, I'm... I, I guess I identify as black easily. It's it's not like, you know, people look at me and go, are you sure about that? They pretty much agree. So I'm going to go ahead with that. But I'm Canadian. My family is Jamaican. So I guess technically nobody here, um, everybody here is in some way either white or not. Are we okay with that general mm-hmm. identification? Hey, Leash, how white are you? You're from Maine. Um, is there anything that goes beyond as white as it gets? I mean, (laughs) uh, I mean, I guess on a scale, on a scale of not white to as white as it gets, I'm, I'm about as far right on that scale as you can possibly get. All right. I'm just, I just want, I just want to make sure that we, the listeners know what's happening here. So now that we have that cleared up, I would very much like to hear, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's important to note that um where i came from was very 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 white so i did not go to my high school had absolutely zero people of color um it was 100 percent white and i went to college at the university of connecticut which is also very white definitely i mean when i went to yukon i felt like it was extremely diverse compared to where i came from um, but I guess I, I say that in, um, to preface that I'll probably be asking you guys a lot of questions to clarify things that I, um, was not exposed to, uh, you know, first being, I, I thought it was really interesting when you asked to I, ask Jess if she identified as black or African American. And that was something I'd never heard anybody ask somebody that before. So I, can you just start by explaining that or kind of just clarifying that a little bit yeah do you want to know why i asked her that that? so are you asking jess why she says that or do you want to do you not understand that there's a distinction i just want to make sure i understand your question i i want to understand why you asked that okay i'm gonna tell you why i asked that and then we'll let jess jump into why she answered the way she did i asked that question because as a canadian who moved to the united states as a teenager when i mean my whole family is jamaican pretty much Um, it was made very clear to me by African-Americans that I'm not African-American. And it was obvious to me that I wasn't. I never thought that I was African-American because that's an ethnicity. Within the black diaspora, you can be Caribbean, you can be African, you can be African-American, you can be all kinds of things. Um, So in the same way that you can be Caucasian, but you can be European, you can be American, you can be all kinds of things, right? So it's the same idea. But if you've only lived in the United States, black and African-American are synonymous terms. And in fact, African-Americans will use those synonymously. But when you aren't from here, those distinctions are more obvious that you've just, if you've never been in the country before, you can't, if you've never been in the United States, you can't be African-American 
I, I don't know how that's quite possible. So um, I, I'll let Jess jump in. She's actually born and raised here, but so this is a little bit even more different, right? <clears throat> yeah, I agree with you that on one hand, I was born here, so technically I'm African-American, but my entire family, I, I come from two sides of immigrants who don't identify as African-American. I don't, I don't have like the history of, of like slavery or things like that. So if I get to choose, if someone asks me, I'm black. Let's just leave it at that. Let's, we don't have to be politically correct about it. Uh, so yeah, I think this black just covers it all. Does that answer your question? Cool. cool. Yeah. You know I'm what? Like, I did wonder anew that you're like, I'm Indian Asian. Is it because there's Indian American? So I think when I first came here 20 years ago, when people said Indian, it was always a confusion with Native Americans. Uh, and I was thinking about it today and I was like, no more do we say Indian and then get confused. Yeah. And so, but so we were always Asian, right? Like when you mark off ethnicity, I had to mark off Asian, but most people don't look at me and say Asian because Asian is usually considered yeah. Chinese, Japanese, East, East Asian, Southeast Asian. And so we've become like South Asian. So people who know call us, usually will say South Asian or Asian Indian. Um, so that's the diff, that's why I said Indian, Asian Indian to Got distinguish it. that. But usually it's South Asian. So it includes India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, okay. Nepal, Bhutan. Well, that's a lot. So mm -hmm. I'm surprised that you guys don't get your, you know, I've always thought that that category is way too broad. Asian. Right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So here's the first question I have for you guys. How did, and you guys take turns. How did you guys decide to end up in the field of speech pathology? Jess, do you want to start <laughs> out? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was, uh, it was undergrad. I was on lacrosse team sophomore year. And I, I had to start figuring out what my major was going to be. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I went on Career Builder and just looked up jobs where you talk a lot. And uh, <laughs> speech language pathologist kept coming up. Go to my mentor. He's like, I don't know what this is, but the school down the block has the program. Go, go, go there and talk to them. Mm -hmm. So I went to the College of St. Rose, and someone there... Dr. Pickering was available and he sat me down and explained the whole program to me mm -hmm. and said, yeah, you know, even though you're a student at another college, we can actually work with the university so that you can take a class, take a class and see what you think. I took phonetics and I was fascinated by it. And that was it. Awesome. I knew. So for me, it's, um, I, my mom's a speech language pathologist, which is even rarer in India yeah. to have speech language pathologists. And I don't have this like distinct memory of being like 10 or 11 and she was doing her PhD when I was in at that age. So she was reading like, and she was doing her PhD in like child language and child language development in deaf children in India. And I remember reading one of her textbooks and thinking this is way more interesting than the science book I'm reading. And I've never found that interesting textbook again after I, start, after I started the program, but it was at that time <laughs> that I was like, okay, I'll do this. And my dad, in India, if you grow up in India, with means, you always have to be an engineer or a doctor. You said with means. Right. So okay. with, like, you have education and you yeah. can make choices, right? Mm -hmm. So it was engineering or medicine. 
And so my dad is an engineer, um, and so he wanted me to be an engineer. So I had to like start working early with him. Like, no, that's not going to be where I end <laughs> up. And so when I had another professional career in mind, which is speech language pathology, he was okay with it at that point. So, hmm. so it was sort of like I was born into it, yeah, and yeah. stayed with it. Um, right. And you trained. You trained myself. in India. I trained mostly in India. I got my bachelor's and my master's in India, and I got my PhD here. Okay. So. Leash. Um, so I'll keep a long story short, I guess, and just say that how I entered the field of speech pathology was by means of engineering. So I started out as an engineering major, a biomedical engineering major, and um, always been attracted to the sciences, neuroscience and physiology. And I worked a little bit in a laboratory uh, doing some engineering work and realized that I really wanted to combine my love for um, science and neuroanatomy and physiology with patient care. So I realized quickly in the engineering world that I was going to be very isolated, which is pretty much a death sentence for somebody that's extremely extroverted. Um, I realized that the, the career was not the right choice for me. And I ended up taking a course with Dr. Carl Coelho at the University of Connecticut, which was um, an amazing course on neuroscience and neuroanatomy for speech pathology. And I kind of entered it by accident, but thought it would be a really nice uh, marriage of wanting to work with patients, but also really loving uh, neuroanatomy. So I switched and here we are. Cool. Well, my story is pretty straightforward. I would say short story long, but we don't got that much time. So I'm gonna do a long story short. Because I'm Canadian, when I started in my undergrad, um, I decided to continue with French. I had done like AP French up until like the third, fourth level, um, because it's easy. I mean, I've been taking French since I was in kindergarten and it's just, it's a bilingual country, so it's required. But you know what Jamaican, well, you guys both have, well, not you, Leash, but um, Anu and Jess, you have immigrant parents. And you know, they have a, a sense of what you're gonna be because they spent all this time trying to come to this country, not for you to like find yourself, but for you to find a doggone job, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, like a year in, one of my parents were like, so what is this job at the end of French? What were you be doing? I'm like, I hadn't thought of that. They're like, we ain't got time for you to find yourself, bro. Oh, wow. Like, you need to have a job. So I asked my sister, so what job do you think I should do? Um, she said, if there's a job where you correct people's speech, you need to find that. And I was like, she's like, you do it for free. Like, maybe you need to figure out how to do that for money. <laughs> we don't want you to do it for us, but you do it all the time. So I went to the guidance counselor and I said, is there a job where I can correct people's speech for money? And they said, yes, it's called speech pathology. And like three <laughs> degrees later, I'm still here, you know? So anyway, so that's how I ended up in this field. So now here's the next question I have for you guys. Did you guys recognize that, or at what point, if at all, did you recognize that our field was 95% white female or even 95% white? Did any of those, was there a point where you're like, is this a fluke or am I the only one or did that ever happen to you? I think because I started in India, it wasn't white female, right? Like it, Shocker. It was white <laughs> Indian, not white. I mean, Indian female with few males, much fewer, same, similar, 95% uh, female. But I think it's my first ASHA. Um, and when I came to the U.S., I came to the University of Illinois and that because of their engineering um, degree, they actually have quite a few international pop, uh, students and I got hooked up with like an Indian roommate and stuff so I could find a way to like have um, so I didn't feel in a white world 
in Champaign-Urbana, although it was, but I didn't necessarily live in that world. And then my first Asha, I was like, oh, hello, <laughs> everyone here that looks it's the snowing. same. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I'm gonna, this is like, everyone's here for a purpose. They're just running somewhere with their super duper bags. <laughs> and I'm like lost here a little bit. So um, I don't know how to dress the part and I don't know how to act the part. And so I think that's when I realized. So when you realized it, did it make you feel any particular way where you're like, oh, that's cool. There they go. There's a lot of them. And you were like, I'm just over here being me. Or you're like, crap, I don't look like them. Is there going to be an issue? I think there was that. And I think it was even more because I started working clinically. And I this was right around 9-11. Um, I started working clinically in 2000. Um, and 9-11 happened. And I was in Boston, the Boston area. And so there was a lot of like, where are you from now? And mm. are you going to teach my child to speak like you? And do you have like cars in India or do you all live in tents too? And oh, so geez. that's why I, when I say I am like a middle-aged, mid, middle-class white woman, it was intentional. It mm-hmm. was sort of like, I'm going to act like you so that you like me more. Mm. And so I can be in your house. And I was doing early intervention, so I was doing home-based stuff. So it was, so you can like me enough to let me in your house and do the things I need to do. Wow. Um, and I would talk about Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas, but I would talk about talk up a storm about Christmas and what I was buying for everyone because that's all everyone was talking about. So I'm like, yeah, me too. Yeah, There's so many stores. And <laughs> so. so you felt like you needed to make an adjustment in order to do your job. Uh-huh. It didn't mean that you had to take it home with you, but when you were in your professional role, you knew you needed a code switch in one way, shape or form. For sure. And even now, I think when I, like when I was in India this time or when I'm home, not as much home now because my 11 year old son won't understand me if I code switch completely, but it's just a completely different language. And I still code switch for work here and go home or go around Indian friends. And I sound different. And yeah. I, like I'm sure you both do too. So. Yeah. Jess, when did you, was there a moment where you were like, this place is white. You know, I, I really, I can't recall. I can't recall the moment. I, I can't, I don't know. So I, maybe there wasn't a moment. I That's don't okay. think so. I really don't think I ever had a moment where I thought, oh my gosh, it's too white. Let me ask you this. No, I didn't ask you, is it too white? I said, did you notice that there were a lot of white females? Was there ever a moment where you're like, damn, like, I'm just looking around and like, is it just this class or is it like? Never. Okay. Never had that. Never had that feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leash, did you notice when you were among your own? You we were raised in Maine, I, so it was startling. It was actually, I'm surprised. I think I had probably the most startling reaction because I had just transferred from an engineering department where I was the only female, pretty much, um, in a very, very, very male-dominated field. Um, so when I went over to speech pathology, I went from being the token female in class to everybody being female and that was a huge change for me um I wasn't used to being around that many women um ever so that was a lot but it wasn't as much of it was more of a gender um surprise to me than it was um race mainly because everywhere that I had been and trained was predominantly white. So when I saw more white, it wasn't very, it didn't stick out to me. You're like, is it mother of pearl or is it eggshell? (laughs) 
Yeah, exactly. So it's not like I walked into a room full of a bunch of women and thought, oh, wow, more white people. Like it was always white people where I was. So it just wasn't something that I even thought of because it's what I expected. I think I just want to say, I think that's part of it. I never expected for it to be 70% people of color in this field. Mm -hmm. So I was never surprised mm -hmm. when the when I was the only within my class. Why would I be shocked by that? I, I, I didn't come into this thinking yeah. that there were going to be tons of people of color. You didn't walk into Africana studies and see a bunch of Asians and be like, what the hell is going on, right? So it, it met my expectations. Or women's studies. You're like, what are all these dudes doing here, right? So I feel similar to you guys. Um, I, I do have a follow-up question for you, Alicia, though. Did you ever, have you in your life ever felt like, damn, it's a lot of white people right now? Like, have you ever, because I'll tell you, when I moved to D.C., I was like, oh, my God, there are black people everywhere. But that's because I've always lived in, I mean, my, my background. Oh, so this is another thing that's interesting, I think, about the four of us. I'm assuming, Anu, that your experience growing up was pretty hetero heterogeneous in terms of Indians, Indians, Indians in India. Right. Right. I'm assuming, Jess, you and I, I was raised in Toronto, which is like one of the most diverse spots on the planet. You were raised in New York. You were never like, oh my God, everybody, everybody's so different. It was just, everyone was just different. You didn't go to see, you, you didn't go to a Jewish neighborhood and go, and what are these Jewish people doing here? You were like, this is life. It's just diverse, right? Yes. And then on the other hand, Leash, you and Anu have a similar background where you, you said it's like the whitest thing ever. Like there was no, I'll never forget when you came and worked in my lab and you're like, I met my first black person in Connecticut when I was an adult and I, I nearly fell out of my head. I think I had a wet spot in my underwear from laughing so hard at that. It was such a funny thing to hear someone yeah. say. So like you guys have that sort of heterogeneous, um, homogeneous background and Jessica and I have a more heterogeneous background. And frankly, there's no point where I walked into any class in undergrad at the University of South Florida and thought, wow. I'm expecting black people in this class because I just Never. took regular like biology and you know finite math, which I failed probably. I mean, so I didn't certainly walk into speech pathology and go, what the heck, more white people? <laughs> Never. Yeah, I think that plays a role. I mean, from childhood, I've always been with different ethnic, ethnic, ethnic groups and, and races. So I, I'm never, I, if I'm making a joke, I'll bring up race. But other than that, it, it's not something that I think about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, yes, I, I grew up in a very homogeneous place, right? But when I came here, I came with the intention of going somewhere else. So I knew I was coming to like a more white place and stuff. So I didn't feel it in classes in the University of Illinois. I didn't feel it in like I was, and I knew I was an international student. So that was different. But I think five years later, when I felt more uh, acculturized or acclimatized, and then I was pointed out as like, you're different, I think that's when I was like, oh, okay, so you're always going to see me as a little bit different and I'm always going to stand out. And I think that's where I noticed it more too, mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. not the first two, three years because I was like, of course I'm different. I mm -hmm. came from another country and I'm going back to this other country, but I never did. Um, and so uh, I think that's part of it too. Is like, And now I feel it more and more. Like 20 some years later, I'm like, oh yeah, I, you don't get it. Okay, I'm different. So... I have to catch myself at regular intervals and be like, I'm not the, the rest of the people because, again, part of me thinks I'm a middle-class, middle-aged white woman. Yeah. <laughs> so, Leish, can I ask you a question? <laughs> when you ever 
say, can I ask you a question? It's usually going to be a doozy. So go ahead. <laughs> what does it feel like? Well, so seriously, what does it feel like to be told there's too many of you? This is something I've never experienced in my life. There's no point where I was any place, even at Howard University, where everybody was basically black, primarily black female. And even then I was like, this is like the twilight zone, people. I knew it was a, a bubble and a phenomenon that it was that didn't exist anywhere because I, by the time I'd moved there, I was already 22. But there was never a point where I ever in my life have, even as a female in speech pathologist, in speech pathology, I don't feel like anyone's looking at me like, hey, you got to move out because we need some males. Like, I don't feel like they're trying to pluck me out to, you know, replace me with a penis at any point in this field, right? Because I'm always like, but I'm black. I checked that box. Y'all want that box, right? Y'all need, <laughs> need me for that box, right? So what is it like, if you've ever even thought of this, like, honestly, to hear people say, and when you hear more diversity, it's kind of a, almost a reminder that there's like, there's too much of you. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting question, I guess. Um, uh, you know, honestly, though, when I, I feel like when I hear people say that, it's in the context of white males um, that usually when I hear people being really outspoken about it, it's not that we, it, it's not just a binary black white thing. It's a, there's too many white males in not just speech pathology, but in the business world in politics in administration. It's, it's usually in that realm. So I don't identify with feeling like my, my people are being like, there's too many of us, right? Like I still have the woman card. So I, but not in speech pathology, right? Yeah. I, I don't think that the conversation is happening enough that I've really had to really dwell on it, to be honest. Um, I think in speech pathology, there's this acknowledgement that it's predominantly white and predominantly female, but I don't think that there's um, as much of an active push to change that, that it's making me feel like, oh my gosh, they're really trying to, people are really telling me there's too many of you. I don't, I don't feel that pressure. I don't hear that conversation very much. So it's not really something I've, I've had to think about, to be honest. Hmm. Okay. Um, and then now I have a question for all of you guys. And then I'm done with my questions. You guys can talk freely because I had a few in my head. One is, do you guys really think that in our field that diversity would improve patient care? Now, here's why I ask that. Obviously, there are fields like social work. Let me just take that one as an example. I can only imagine that, let's say you are what someone might say a prototypical white, you're, you're what do you say, middle class, middle white, age. middle aged white female that Anu is, right? <laughs> let's say we take, let's we take her Sasha Fierce, her, her alter ego. <laughs> let's call you Meredith. How's that? So let's say. I choose a name. No. Oh, do you, oh, do you want to choose your name? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's say it is true that if you've come from middle class, suburban, white background, and you are in social work and you are dropped in the middle of like uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, the likelihood that you're going to be able to be as effective if you are just trying to figure out what the heck is customary in those neighborhoods, maybe you're going to be a little less effective than someone who's already familiar with how Brooklyn works, so you can just get to the issues at hand with that family, it's possible that it does make a difference. Maybe there are benefits, but I can understand someone's argument that, dude, if you're just busy trying to understand our custom, you can't really help us right now. But 
there are areas in our field after having gone to Howard that I get the understanding of difference versus disorder. And if you're busy trying to fix things that are just a difference and not a disorder, I totally get that. But in general, do you think that if we had a different makeup, it was more of a mosaic, right? As opposed to white subway tile in a kitchen, which I love by the way. Um, is it possible that patient care would actually improve? Because right now there's no data to support that diversity in our field would actually really make a difference in a general ubiquitous way. I think we assume that we could sort of, that there are fields where there have been some data that suggests it can be helpful, but I, I don't know that, I don't know, is are there maybe some areas where we could say, yeah, this is helpful and others where it might not make a difference? I say yes. Uh, coming, uh, ha having worked in Brooklyn, being with, working with majority immigrants, Asian, Russian, and especially Caribbean, my blackness was a, a golden ticket to the point where they would say, I don't want that white girl coming back to my house. I want, you don't send that white girl. Because wow. there was too many, they didn't understand why was this Trini man yelling at me? Or when it's like, well, that's just how he talks, girl. You just gotta, you gotta, you gotta push back, you know, and then he'll let you in. Or certain customs within the, uh, the Asian household of knowing how are you supposed to present yourself when you get there? I don't need someone to train me on that. I've been exposed to it. So I already know my demeanor and my disposition when I enter into your home, for example. The other area for us is, is the food. So I already know the types of food you eat. So I don't need to sit here and look at a, no, I'm not bringing you yogurt and applesauce. That's not going to work, you know? So I would say for, for me in Brooklyn and in that population, it made a difference. But, that, but here's the thing that I'm hearing what you're saying. You aren't Asian. No. But because you are just culturally aware, yes. you can be more versatile. So what you're suggesting is it's more versatile individuals. Even if you're a white person from Brooklyn who's yes. been exposed to these, you're probably more effective than a black person who's only ever lived, I don't know, in South Africa or I don't know, some place where they've only had their customs. Mm -hmm. They still would be startled even though maybe they're from a different place. Yeah. You don't have to be of that community to understand that community and know how to be a part of it. If you have experience, I think it's gonna be helpful. So improving diversity in a sense, I think would meet those needs where, you know what, your customs are similar to some customs I'm, I'm familiar with from you know when I was a child. I can apply that here. But I think it also takes, you have to be willing to say, you have things I need to learn about you before I come in and say, I'm, gonna, I'm just here to treat you. No, the first is we have to come, we have a relationship we're trying to build. So I need to understand you first before any treatment can take place. And that's what a new experience, right? When you would go into people's houses and they'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You coming up here with your Indian accent and whatnot. Right. I don't know. Is my kid going to start sounding like you? Yes, I heard that. Um, I heard that. But I, going back to your first question, I think there, it makes a difference. I think that, like Jess was saying, I think foods. Like a lot of people will go to, when I did early intervention, go into an Indian family's house and say, does he use utensils? No. Okay, cross. Well, we don't use utensils. Yep. So we, like even now... We, if I can, if I'm eating Indian food, I eat with my fingers. Mm -hmm. um, and so knowing that makes a big difference. And I think for a lot of these families that are immigrant um, families, I'm, they may have the first white person coming into their house, maybe a person who's their SLP. 
and it may not be a social worker it may be the SLP so it's the same thing with social work where if you don't have an idea of how cultural are different and you're not you don't have that cultural humility um you're going to not you're going to spend a lot of time figuring that out and i think when we're talking about diversity now we're talking about color but i also think that for people there there was some study recently that i saw that said people who are african american or black prefer counselors or therapists oh, that are african american or black and um i think that uh, one of our um grad students is actually going to do that with trans like do trans people prefer slps that are trans when you say trans just so people are very clear to come people who are transitioning from one uh gender to another okay right transgender mm-hmm. um and i don't and i know i don't know that this has been studied in stuttering but i can see that some people who stutter may prefer a um an SLP that stutters. Yeah. And so again that's a different kind of wow. diversity but that is diversity, that's right? Like to think about who are we allowing in as gatekeepers and saying, well, if you cannot read this test properly then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um so I think like even with swallowing swallowing or like feeding more like things like that, like are we going to teach them to use a spoon or not? Mm-hmm. Um so I think there's value in diversity as long as we're not only calling diversity color sure and race the only reason we're talking about it now is because i already hashtagged this slp so white okay <laughs> but no i hear your point totally cuz ethnicity we just talked about ethnicity like black versus african american right. and there can be differences there as well right leash what do you think wait wait let me just ask you this if you really thought that diversity was necessary could you even say that <laughs> cuz i feel like i'm black and i'm allowed to say these things that you're not what do you think <laughs> wait if i'm allowed to say that we should have diversity or that we should not have diversity should not oh should not no of course i can't say that <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> no 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 um i i do believe i'm in a safe space so i am going to speak very candidly um and i i'm g- here's where i think it's interesting in speech pathology because i do think that diversity is not um the benefits of diversity are not universally applied to all professions so um for example when when you hear about diversity in the research studies in the workplace you hear a lot about that diversity allows for more innovation for better problem solving for increased creativity and i do think that there are workplace environments that diversity is absolutely necessary for those aspects of the workforce. So um I I I can't think of like a specific job but like maybe in the business realm or or marketing or um you know professions like that I think diversity is is just absolutely critical. It's interesting in speech pathology because I wonder, you know, I think back in as to the paper that we wrote when I think about speech pathology and you you asked the question um i want to make sure i rephrase how you asked the question you said would it make our profession better how did you phrase the question i said would it improve, would it improve patient, patient care? care yeah so i think there's there's two ways to answer this question one is i think about the paper that we wrote where we showed that um clinician accuracy in diagnosing swallowing pathophysiologies and treatment planning is really pretty poor in our field um so i think about would diversity help 
that aspect of improving patient care? Would it make our ability to diagnose and treat swallowing disorders better? I'm not so sure if just diversity is going to help that. I don't know, yeah. but I have, I have a harder time trying to wrap my head around that versus yeah. looking at um, diversity in our field in treating the whole patient. So considering all of the patient factors that go into our clinical decision making, I think diversity is extremely important in being able to be better service providers to, to the whole patient. So I'm interested in what you guys think about looking at it in those two different aspects as like truly just providing accurate medical care and being able to, you know, just diagnose and, and, um, and treat these impairments versus like, all the other aspects of our field, even like employee engagement and um, some of those other factors. So is there a difference? Yeah, no, I think that's really good. I think Jess has something to say. I was going to say they come together. I mean, when you're working in the acute care setting at any of the medical settings, you're getting now patient satisfaction, you know, where agencies, companies are calling these patients and asking, did they do X, Y, and Z? So it can't just only be about, did I provide the best care? Because I also have to make that patient feel good about themselves because that's gonna be a ding if I ask them how their day was, for example. So it seems as though the the two worlds have to come together in some way. Yeah, I think of it as like, if I was a technician watching swallows, I don't know anything about swallowing. So I'm gonna make up all these words. Go ahead. Um, if I'm a technician watching swallow studies and making decisions, I don't think diversity matters, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm just sitting behind, I'm not meeting a patient, I'm just seeing the swallow studies. It's all black mm-hmm. and white, literally. It's all black and white, <laughs> right. So it doesn't matter. The Asian doesn't work in there. The brown doesn't matter. <laughs> but if, um, but the minute I have to come out and talk to a patient, mm-hmm. the minute that I have to come out and talk to a client, I have to involve their family, talk to nurses, IPE, whatever it is, then it becomes important mm-hmm. to just, and again, I don't, uh, I think it doesn't have to be that I have to be someone from a different, just because I'm brown, it doesn't mean I'm more culturally competent. It doesn't mean that I can go into another house. It doesn't mean I'm not racist. It doesn't mean I'm not ableist. It doesn't mean any of these things. Mm -hmm. So, so I don't know that diversity in and of itself will Mm -hmm. solve those things, but I think having diversity will allow us to have more of those conversations without people feeling threatened. Yeah. So I, I think... I think we're kind of agreeing with you there, Leash. this idea that, you know, if you're just looking at x-rays all day long and you have that kind of job where you don't want to deal with people and all their issues, then sure, maybe it doesn't matter so much in terms of patient care. But when you're talking about, as you said, now it might not matter in, you know, the middle of a rural area where everybody looks the same. Maybe diversity is probably a negative, and I've always thought this, and you guys tell me what you think on this one, but this push for diversity, one of the suggestions is not just for patient care, that's just the first thing I said, but what about training? And you know, this idea that the reason that our field is so white is because our quote, pipeline is white, meaning the people in undergrad are white, therefore the people in masters are white, therefore people in the PhDs and faculty are gonna be white because these are the people who have the degrees who are coming to our field. As a result, then the idea, the argument has been that if you have a lot of white professors, they're not gonna be able to get these black students or these Asian students or these other students because they feel like I'm an outsider, I'm an imposter, and they don't believe in me. So that's the argument. But doesn't that then negate me as a professor? If the argument is that if you have somebody who looks like you when you train, you're going to be better, right? Then 
Jess is Jess is exploding. Let me finish this. Let me finish. (laughs) The argument then suggests that I shouldn't be effective for all these white students I'm training. If it's true that a white a white professor can't help these black students, then I how am I helping the ninety people in my AMP class? I do think that there is a level of kill them with, as I've been saying this a lot, kill them with competence that people are willing to overlook whatever initial feelings they had about you as a student, as a clinician. I know I know my mom and other people who have worked in hospitals and someone said, I don't want that N out here, like N word or whatever. I want so-and-so. I want someone who looks like me. Just like you guys said, mm-hmm. the Trini guy was like, no, I want... I want somebody who looks like me because I don't think I'm going to get good care from this person. So that sentiment exists in human beings, right? right. But maybe there's a point where you're like, sir or ma'am, I'm here because I want to make you better. Are you going to give me a chance to do that? However you learn how to communicate with people who don't want you. I think it's actually a skill to be learned more so than a reason to escape and consider yourself an imposter. Because if you're highly competent, I think that will overcome to a degree a certain level of ideas that you don't belong or you're not good enough. What do you think, Jess? Jessica is about to scream. What did, what did I say wrong? So first, are we about to curse on this thing? Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> okay. This is a podcast, it's not the radio. <laughs> Ooh, I'm just, um, my first thought was like, cut the bullshit, cut it. This, like, I've never had a professor, my professors have all been white. Before Howard, they've all been white. I've never had an experience where my blackness impacted how they taught me or what I learned. It never came mm-hmm. into question. Mm-hmm. So this idea that uh, accommodations have to be made or things like that. No, I need you to give me what you got. I don't. And they were like, I need you to give me what you got. And so it was never about color. It was, do you know what the, do you know what the fuck you're doing or not? Yeah. And if you do, cool. And if you don't, you better come to my office. Yeah. That's just it. So when I hear these, I was like, you're speaking and I'm sorry to hear of students of color who are like, I just don't feel comfortable, I don't know. Cut the bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's not, you, you're making something out of nothing because- You're getting in your own way. That's it. And I would say, I've been fortunate enough to have been in a program that was all white. And I'm talking about, I was one of two in an entire program. Mm-hmm. But then also be in a, in a program that was all people of color. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can pull out differences between the two. And I won't say one is, one was better than the other. <laughs> I'm just leaving it at that. You know what I mean? But Wait, I'm like, I had the exact same experience. My undergrad was, as they say, PWI, predominantly white institution, which I learned later. And then there's a lot of acronyms. And then I went to Howard, which is an HBCU, which is a historically black college or university. But you know what's funny? For me, what's interesting about that is I didn't know there was a difference until the black people pointed it out. Wait, 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 where? At the PWI or so the HBCU? So I never heard of PWI. Me either. Until I was at an HBCU. Me too. And they're like, you know, I'm like, that's, that's a problem for me. Because why, why are we distinguishing between PWI and HBCU? I'm sure someone will say to me because of what I'm saying. You are going to get reason, so much hate oh, mail. <laughs> there's a reason why. You know how much we have? I hear you. All I'm saying is, as a black person in my field, it never came into question my race and my competence until I was at an HBCU. Then all of a sudden it was black, 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 black. And I'm like, y'all are forget. what about learning? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm over here getting hot because, you know, just thinking about the idea that a person can't teach you or you can't learn because of your race. So here, let me just clarify something. This argument that I've been hearing that I was bringing up 
is not that you can't learn, is that you won't stick around. Nobody is suggesting that if you hear someone describe the sternocleidomastoid and it's coming from a white person versus a black person, they're like, but that just sounds different. That is like what you made me feel. Yeah, it's like, I just feel like the sternocleidomastoid would be better if it was like a black person. Like, that's not happening. What I'm saying is that um, the idea of belongingness and, and those moments of insecurity mm-hmm. where you feel like I should go to the professor and ask a question, but they think I'm dumb. That it's kind of thing. It's not about race. No, no, no. Wait, I'm not saying it is. I know. I'm just, I'm just, because I got, I have professors from my master's I was just talking to today so I'm like by no means can I say that for me that I was I didn't feel welcome I think if you're coming in with those issues with that baggage from your childhood you it's going to you're going to be hypersensitive to this shit yeah so if you come in with a clean slate my but wait a minute nobody comes with a clean slate let's just let me wait let me just say this nobody comes with a clean slate if, however okay. however no, it is the scarf comes off. she's taking her scarf Ooh. off her sweater off she's getting hot but my my thought is this i i identify more so with your disposition right now where it just wasn't a thing right i'm not saying there were moments where i was like is this person trying to say so and so but to me i always thought if i'm going to move up in this field i can't be barred now it's going to get wider and wider as we get to the top is it going to get maybe even more male and mailer and mailer is that if you can even say that leash i'm sure when you were in engineering you were ridiculously aware of how female you were and you probably had moments where you're like if this is a dumb question, let's just say this is a dumb question. Am I going to be penalized for it more because I'm female than if a white guy, some, you know, one of the 25 white people in this class asked it who doesn't stand out? It's always going to be like the female asked it. And if they have biases against females, you might in that moment go, I know I'm not dumb, but I do have to be thoughtful because their disposition about females might impact my progress, even though I don't feel that way about myself. Got it. I And I think maybe I'm... I'm an anomaly. I've just never had that experience, but I've never been in an environment where professors have made me feel that way until I was at Howard. (laughs) But before Howard, I never felt that because the environment was created in a way where ask questions. And this is, this is, that was one university, but Leash, what do you feel about the female thing? Yeah. I mean, I think this is, um, a conversation about race, but it's a conversation about so much more than that, right? I mean, I absolutely felt that way, and I, it, it's it's similar. It is it is different for sure. Um, but you know, what this conversation makes me think about, and what I want to ask you guys is this push for diversity, and you know, we we hear it a lot that we we need it, we need it, we need it, and and if I'll never forget when you. Um, posted a picture of one of the graduate courses and all the students and there was a lot of people saying gosh our field needs to be more diverse it needs to be more diverse and you said why and really wanted people to be thoughtful about why we need diversity and be specific about it um and I was wondering if you guys felt kind of along this topic of is there a consequence to when just when you said when you were at Howard, like there were things that you had never even thought about that were all of a sudden, like people were bringing up that you went to a PWI, right? And you had never even heard that or thought about it until you were at Howard. That is there a negative consequence to having this awareness be brought up so much and talked about so much and 
having it be the center of conversation constantly, is there a flip side to it? Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? You know what I mean by the question? No, yes. I get your question yeah. very clearly. The facial expressions in this room, Leash, are like, everybody's looking around like, who's jumping in? <laughs> I feel like Jess is going to like take me out if we don't let her go first. Go no, for it. No, no, no. You know, um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about all the... <laughs> Honestly, I'm thinking about all the black people who are going to be so upset with the things that I'm saying. <laughs> That's the first thing that came to mind. Uh, oh, wait, the blacks are the African-Americans. <laughs> both, both groups will not be happy with the fact that I've outed us. <laughs> I, think there, I think there is. Um, it, it can't just be about, we got we to gotta get more of us in the room. That's a problem for me. It will always be, especially like my father is ill. You think I'm sitting there saying, I need a black physician. No, 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 no. Give me the most competent motherfucker in the room. That's who I need. I don't yes. give. You are crying. I don't care. I don't care. So but I think how, what happens is. How do you balance that with the data that's very explicit that shows that people of color are treated differently in the healthcare system. So if a white person and a black person shows up with the same symptoms and the same diagnosis, that um, the people of color are going to be um, not provided the same quality of care that a white person is. I mean, that's they're prescribed less pain medications because their pain isn't taken as seriously. I mean, there's so much data to support this that how do you... Um, in that example where you say, I just want the most competent person, how do you balance that out? Is there is there no thought that, well, maybe a person of color is going to take my problem seriously and and really listen to me and advocate for my health care? Is that not a factor? Nobody's saying it's not a factor, but you know, Leash, that there are studies showing that the p-value for doing X-swallowing therapy was... 0.05 or less, therefore it was effective. And you know, there's so much more to the story. As a woman sure, who yeah. has had both a male and a female OBGYN, this dude doesn't even have the parts. I'm at least giving this white person the benefit of the doubt. They have a heart, I have a heart. They at least, we have that in common. This dude doesn't even sure. have the parts. And you know what? There is no difference between sure. the two physicians. I didn't go, I'm sorry, but studies show that women are treated x y and z therefore you can't take titus out of me right now you have to find somebody with a vagina um he was competent and there's a point where you're like those things can happen but i do think that we know that research does not speak about every possible discipline in medicine every possible um group of people every city some cities are probably better than others right um and i i also think that we have to be thoughtful that if you have an individual who wants to see people get better no matter what they look like those people they're they're thrown into the group data along with the person who maybe didn't take someone seriously right so i think that's sure. i think that i totally get your point um and this is a thing oh, the other thing is by the time let's say your dad um jess by the time you were in this situation now you're 30 something you've been living a whole life of recognizing where people might be biased against you or not this is not new territory she's not like yeah. wait a minute wait a minute racism a thing is a thing now that she walked in the hospital so she's has a life of sort of trying to filter out and screen circumstances where is she getting in her head is she being too sensitive is this dude really not going to treat my dad this way because he's black or maybe this guy's amazing and he totally he's like asian or something like that and you're like hey i don't care i don't care what you look like so we how we bring that experience with us to the hospital to these medical centers and we're constantly screening. So, you know, it could also be that that's a factor too. 
And I would, so along with those lines, in regards to my dad, for example, I've never thought, he's not going to get good care because he's black. I think he's not going to get good care because he's too damn nice. Like, that's why they're going to they're gonna walk over you because you don't advocate for yourself. That's my first thought. But I also think you're talking from a place of being in New York. Yes. And I think that's different from, like, the, a lot, a huge part of the country. And I don't know about your parents, any of your parents, but I also think education level and how... I think education level plays a bigger part in it. Mm -hmm. So the people who don't feel comfortable in a classroom are probably the people who are first generation, also first generation, or don't have... So that's where I think the role models matter. Like to be like someone looks like me and came from what I came from and struggled the way I, my family does or like eats the way my family does or something like that. But I think education at some level and um, opportunities level the playing field a little. So some of us may not need that role model because we can find that connection in other places. But if I think for some other people who feel, who've lived a life of oppression, mm-hmm. and I think that's also true for um, white people who are first generation. It doesn't all, only have to be people of color or people who are diverse of first generations, um, who are first generation. But I think knowing there's someone else who's had my story makes you believe in your story a little bit more. So I think mm-hmm. that's where I agree with some of this thing of like having someone, maybe not in the brochures, but walking in the room. And I think, Yanessa, for sure, having African-American or black um, or even Hispanic students who can see you and be like, I can be that Mm -hmm. versus seeing a bunch of uh, white people and this Asian person Mm -hmm. and be like, oh, so can I get there? Can Mm -hmm. I get to professorship? Mm -hmm. Or I can be a clinician, but can I get to professorship? I think is a question. And I think just having more people in that level allows people to see that's a dream I can reach. Yeah, to. There's, it's, I'm not going to be the only one to have to be the pioneer. But Leash, how many times have we talked about moments where we had a student who was clearly a bit on the entitled side and had a dad who was a physician and they wanted to throw that at her face to be like, my dad is so-and-so and he's going to call you about the fact that I got a, a half a point off so-and-so or just whatever the thing was. And we both looked at each other like, when you grow up poor and your parents don't even know like what a college <laughs> campus looks like other than they plan to be there in four years <laughs> after they drop you off because the graduation is going to happen and you better graduate on time. Like when that's all you know and you have to figure everything out, we're looking at her like, I'm sorry, is your dad going to come and hold your hand? So when Anu said that, I remember many times where I'd look at, we'd look at each other and be like, didn't grow up poor, didn't grow up poor. And clearly I'm from a diverse, yeah, I'm diverse, I'm from a diverse place in Toronto with, you know, obviously a lot of black people in, in my family. You're from a very non-diverse place. And we both had that in common. We're like, yep, this one's not got the grit, not got the grit. So I think my mother just learned what I do like. Two months ago. <laughs> Your mom just figured out what you did two months ago? Yeah. 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 I, have, I have a student who's like, we were talking recently, um, and she was saying she's, her dad's Asian, and she's like, as long as I get to the hospital, work in a hospital, I think he'll be okay. But he still doesn't know what, I, what I'm going to school for, and I think if I'm not walking around the hospital with a white coat, he's going to be disappointed. Yeah. So I'm going to have to find that. My mother's like, for all this schooling, why don't you just become a doctor? I'm like, well, I mean, well, te- technically, <laughs> not the one that you respect, but yeah. PhD, MD, you know what I'm saying? So um, why do you guys think our field is so white? Like, uh, I would say, I would say a, a component of that is just exposure. I don't think right. enough people of color know that this field exists outside of you play with kids. 
I think I've, I've met a lot of friends in college who were like, oh, you like that, you like that lady that used to take me out of school at a class and play with me. I'm like, well, I mean, we have the same title, but I don't do that, you know? So I, I think that. there's this uh, awareness. We're like in a box of what an SLP is. Mm -hmm. And anything other than that, I don't think people really know what we do and who we are. I think historically, too, like a lot of SLP was in the Midwest. Okay. Like I mean, I it started, it started here, right? Here, here in right? Iowa. Here in mm -hmm. Iowa. Some off house that's just where by the somewhere. way iowa has the same demographic in terms of whiteness that our field does so maybe they right. started it right yeah. it's like 95 percent um, white it was white male though though then. yeah so, it was but still yeah so i wonder if that was part of it i was at csu la for a talk month years ago and i finished the talk and someone said so where are you from and i was like what kind of question is this i'm from india can you not tell like this brown this and they were like, no. And I actually looked in the room and I could not tell you anyone's ethnicity in that room. Because I think LA is so diverse that I could not have looked in the room and said, white, black, Hispanic. Hispanic. Like I wouldn't have known. I, everyone just looked of mixed race of some sort or the other, biracial, multiracial. And so they were like, no. And so I was thinking that's where we need to get to be, where we don't even... I don't want that. No, I want people to know. No, you're black. I no. Well, I mean, they're not going to not know I'm yeah, black. You know, they still follow me. me around in Nordstrom, just the same. They don't. <laughs> they don't. They don't go. Wait, but are you Canadian, Jamaican, or African? Oh, Canadian, Jamaican. Go you there for and just shop freely. Like they don't. They don't pause for the cause or anything. But uh, no, I. I think that celebrating the difference is great. I this whole idea of colorblind. I'm like, I don't want to be gender blind for me. Like I want somebody to know I'm a girl. I'm cool with that. But if somebody else wants to be, that's good for them. If you want to be colorblind for that person, let them know gender blind for that person let them know but i'd like to celebrate this kind of difference i think that the only issue is it, it's i think it's what jessica was saying with this idea of hmm i'm gonna say hypersensitivity and see who comes and screams at me because if you say things like hypersensitivity people are like i'm not being hypersensitive it's not me it's them i think it's really about your perspective no matter what i have moments where it is nice to say to jess like let's say jess and i are here in iowa and we go to the hospital and we may perceive something like okay did you notice so and so okay all i needed was that five seconds to look at her and be like you saw that right it's like okay done then i don't need to gripe about it for 10 years but if you are the only one, sometimes those moments pass and you start to wonder, is it me? Am I crazy? Right. Am I in the twilight zone? Did so-and-so say that? What, right. what is going on? It's the same. Women might understand it if there is a person on on campus who kind of creeps you out a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, Did always you, a creeper. you can say it to a guy and maybe he might not even notice, but you're like, you, you saw that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. just making sure we saw that together. So sometimes there's community in those moments and it's not, I mean, our field just has to be pretty special in that it is not just very white, it's also very female. So it's not just that people who aren't white might notice, might be feeling like, wow, it's interesting to be the 5% are over here, but not necessarily <laughs> a positive way. But also males, you know, they have their, we're gonna do an SLP, SLP so female one after this. Maybe SLP so straight, who knows? Maybe we'll do all of them. <laughs> yes, yes, be inclusive. SLP so, SLP so ableist? SLP so ableist, meaning? Like not as many disabled people are allowed in SLP? Um, so, you know, people with like when we do admissions or when we do interviews and things like that, like we want someone who has great pragmatic skills. So people with autism are like, no, we don't want you to be an SLP because you don't know how to be socially appropriate. But but, you know, a lot of I mean, so I guess the question is, how far can you go? I mean, because yeah. people did say that about African-Americans who sounded who didn't sound like they could code switch. 
And the argument was like, how are you going to teach them to stop saying axe instead of ask? Like if, no, seriously, if a yeah. white mom is like, no, I don't want them to say axe. I want them to say ask. Yeah. I, I mean, does that person have the right to say something? I mean, I knew you're somebody who probably could explain to them, they're not going to get my accent. That's just not the way it works. Right. Right. I, <laughs> I wish I had that power. I know. And I would change the whole world. The accent. whole world would sound Indian. Yes. I will make you all sound like me. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I don't know what I was thinking. I've lost my thought train. That's thought. okay. I oh. think there is a sense of community that comes from like, we get it like I get it or you get it or it, it may be just a sense of otherness that you get like it may not be that like I get exactly what you feel like as a black person walking in the mm -hmm. cafeteria but like even if I was with you and I'm like oh there's like a sense of otherness yeah but that's a little bit different and sometimes it's a good otherness right sometimes you enjoy being the different one but I mean I definitely know what you mean because I I'll not forget when I was in Wisconsin and I mean, I'm used to being one of the only black people wherever professionally, but I'll not, oh, this actually happened at Hopkins. I'll not forget the otherness when it doesn't work in the way you think it will work. So on one hand, you're clearly the only person there. So what, you know, it's fine. Two things happen that are really interesting. Let's say it's like me and five other uh, white female clinicians and we're all just talking at lunch or something. And then somebody will want to point me out and they'll be like, oh, Dr. Humber. They're like, oh, which one is she? They won't see the black one. Right. They're so afraid to say the thing that's obvious that I'm happy about. <laughs> you know, no, if you're the only female, they're not going to go, the one without the penis. <laughs> like, what? I would just say the black one. Like, she's got on a fuchsia type lipstick. Yeah. You're like, oh, for fuck's sake, the black one. You know what I mean? So on one hand, you're clearly the other, but they're not going to say it. But on the other hand, it's like, I, I don't understand why that's a problem. Like sometimes you are the other and they can't find it. Oh, here's an example. I, there was a point where there was a postdoc who was working with, uh, with Rebecca German and her name was Regina. And as Rebecca German, who's Jewish, says, she always says Hopkins is full of uh, Jewish uh, physicians. So she would always joke about his white coats, bald heads, and Jewish men. That's what she'd always say. So we'd walk into the department. I was in physical medicine rehab. And it would just be like literally white coats and white men. I don't know what ethnicity they were or anything like, or religion or whatever. And then Regina and I would walk in. Now I have been there for five motherfucking years. Do you hear me? I walk in with this postdoc who just showed up, who is six foot tall. I am five two. <laughs> I had on, I had bald head. She had hair down to her, but they're going to look at her and say, Ianessa. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> are you serious right now? The only time another black person comes in and you're confused, but meanwhile, all these five white doctors in white coats are like, Bill, Bob, Sue, Dad. Like, you can differentiate that? Is it the size of the circumference of the ball spot? Like, what am I missing here? That's a good one. Like, if you're sometimes you're other when you don't want to be, and you're not other when you want to be. You know what I think is interesting, though, that I observe a lot is, you know, listening to you guys talk about that sort of like shared experience, communal aspect of being like, quote, different or you know not the majority is I think sometimes white people are jealous of that so I, I see this yeah, one everywhere <laughs> <laughs> they, I, know, I know but it's I it's like it's the irony of it is so absurd where you know it's like um you know if black people have kind of something to fight for or they have their stories and white people want their stories like they want to have a story but like I I feel the time like white people really trying to like have that sense of community with somebody 
um, like, oh, I, I totally know how you feel growing up. Like I was the only one on my street that didn't have like the red bike or, you know, some <laughs> ridiculous, like, so like, we're the same. I know how you feel because I, and it's always like some, some way that they were discriminated against or some way that they were different or that they were isolated and they want to have that story. They want to have that, you know, experience of overcoming of in the face of, of adversity, you know, I still succeed, uh, succeeded. I, I just see this all the time that white people yearn for this so bad. It's so <laughs> absurd to me and you know the funny thing is you have all these people who are looking at them like why would you give it what you have like we're fighting <laughs> for this like your whole story is taught to me my whole life i'm tired of your story god damn it right now like can i get some can you i know, have like, my moment no <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny i have heard that what you're saying by a couple of people who are like able to be candid with me and here's the thing that's really interesting is that i think most of us on like all four of us we're actually far more interested in having friends who aren't just like us because we probably all get bored if we walk into the room and it's all a bunch of black female slps all who went to howard who have this you know a husband and 2.5 kids who have the same car and there's a point where you're like oh my god are we going to talk about natural hair forever oh my god i can't have this conversation anymore so it's kind of fun to have somebody else <laughs> right i love that i'm ready to dive in and have this conversation and hear about somebody else's experience with their not having the red tricycle like i'm actually really interested i don't think that that diminishes that maybe my struggle was more detrimental potentially. I just think that in their world, I find it fascinating that to them, that was the worst thing that ever happened to them. It helps me to place them, literally, like it helps me to place them in, in, in moments where there is controversy or anything that bad happens. And let's say somebody like that can't handle it. Like they run out the room crying. I'm like, well, if the tricycle was worse than that happened to you, I mean, of course you're not gonna handle this, right? <laughs> Sometimes, like professionally, sure. sometimes I'm like, but I, I, just I find don't. it interesting. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, professionally, sometimes I'm like, I just don't want to talk about race or ethnicity. Can we not? Let's talk about anything else. And sometimes I feel as though being black, it's, it's like I'm, I'm expected to always want to talk about that mm -hmm. when I don't, unfortunately, I don't care. I don't, but I think that's part of. Our specialty is just not something, it's not something we think about that often because everything's black and white. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that I'm thinking about. So I don't want to talk about it because I have seven other topics that are way more important to me at this stage, mm -hmm. professionally. Leach, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that it's, it's interesting how, you know, I think to everybody, we're all a little bit, um, I, don't, I guess I don't know how to say it, but like we're all a little, as human nature is that we're all a little self-centered, right? So I think a lot of people see the world as like there's me and then th there's where I come from and what I represent and then there's other people, right? So for me growing up, race was never a conversation because it didn't exist, right? It was just one. But for me growing up, it was every, it wasn't black versus white. It was poor versus rich. So like I came from like a very poor um, background. So I segmented my whole world 
as, okay, these are the rich people. And like my imposter syndrome, a lot of times came from that versus, versus like a race thing. I think, I think that this conversation about race is a conversation about just like, how do we segment our worlds, right? Like what's the other side or what makes us feel different or what makes us feel like, um, it's that it's about something other than just who we are. Yeah. That's I great. Did, yeah, that's I point. didn't, I didn't, I, I know your story, obviously, but I have trouble explaining to people who I know who are, let's say, African-Americans from the D.C. area going to um, Sidwell Friends, which is like where the Obama kids went. Like, this is not inexpensive. It's tough for me to explain to them that when they complain about things, I'm like, I'm sorry, your life does not compare to my doctoral student right now, for instance. Or like, well, where's she from? Maine. Oh, she white. They they don't understand. They're like, well, she if are. you're white, you white. Like, you got it. Like, what's the problem? Just like fake it till you make it. They're not going to ask you anything. Right. But I try yeah. to explain to them. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This kind of thing can follow you forever. The imposter syndrome that she has is just different from yours. I mean, it's just a different thing. But I try to explain some of them. Your life is 50 times better than some white people. Because you live in a bubble in D.C. where a lot of people look like you. You have plenty of money. You're, you know, in your highfalutin environment. I think that's amazing that you can have that. But being black in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be bad in every circumstance. And white is always going to be amazing. Yeah, so Alicia, as you were saying, I always feel so weird when I get put in the, in the bucket of white people because white people means privileged right and i'm like that's definitely not how i feel at all i don't identify with that so it's interesting like i feel like as a white person like sometimes we get grouped into this into this basket of like everything is easy privileged and in a lot of ways it was for sure right there are things that i was able to do and that i had advantages because i was white there's no doubt about that but it's not my whole story right like it's there are ways that I feel like that I wasn't, but it has nothing to do with, with my race. Yeah. So yeah. I, and I think these concepts that we're talking about, it, it really does transcend race. It, it, I think people can identify with these feelings in a lot of different ways. I think the word that I comes to me is like intersectionality. I know it's like the new buzzword, but the idea that you're not one thing and you're an intersection of so many different things. And like, even as a person who's a minority here and immigrant here, I didn't grow up with that, right? Mm -hmm. Like I grew up with educated parents. My mom was doing her PhD, so she obviously had education. Um, I grew up with a lot of privilege in terms of education. Uh, we didn't have money, but we had opportunity. opportunity and class and caste and all of those things going for me. And caste meaning you were more fair-skinned. Right? Well, no. there's like caste system in India, which okay. is like a whole nother glass of okay. wine. Okay. <laughs> bottle of wine. Um, so, uh, and so I was the upper caste. So that gave, and so that means my, historically my family had more privileges, like my ancestors and stuff like that. So, so growing up, I never felt like I didn't have the, I could do whatever, I could always do whatever I wanted. I could do what I want, be what I want. And so it's interesting that only as an adult, only after coming here, did I start to feel like, oh, like I'm being discriminated against, uh, so I'm not the one with privilege by my face and by my talking, by my accent and by my face. Um, and so it's an interesting realization as an adult to have that versus grow up with that. 
So it changes how you perceive mm, that's it. That's really interesting. Hmm. I never really, um, I, I struggle to think of whether I had a moment where I felt like I was better or worse or anything. My problem was always my mouth. I always got in trouble because, I mean, it didn't matter what, I was always saying exactly what came into my head just flew out of my mouth. So I'm sure there are moments I can think back to where this thing that happened or that happened, but it never quite occurred to me that that was a definition of where I was going to be in life. And I think personality is something we haven't talked about. That's another factor that can really, you know, make somebody completely different in an environment. Like why did Obama end up being becoming president versus all the people that tried? It could be all kinds of factors, but he also had to kind of believe that that wasn't going to be a limiting factor. That mm -hmm. And that's hard. It sounds easy. Mm -hmm. But when you think about that being the only one or the first one, you really have to believe that about yourself, that there's really nothing particularly bad about these things that people are pointing out. I actually value them. I'm going to harness them in some way. Right now, they might not be the best leverage, but at some point, it's, it's you know, I might not be your favorite color, but at some point, you're going to need me to complete your picture. And mm -hmm. if you have a tree in your picture, it's going, it's going to need some brown in it. And I might not, brown might not be the favorite color, but you're going to need me to complete your picture at some point. And, you know, you can pull those moments out where it actually benefits you if you want to be optimistic about it. What closing thoughts do you guys have about this? Do we want to fix this problem? Is this a problem? This 95% white female? I, I feel like it's so nuanced that we can't even say it's a problem, which to me means a conversation was well done. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, well, I don't know if it's a problem, but I, I would say that the field is open. I don't think, yeah, I don't think this is a field where if you're non-white, you're not welcomed. I agree. I think that, you know, if you, no matter mm -hmm. who you are, if you're interested, there are institutions who would love to have you and you don't have to be uh, at an institution where you feel comfortable because there are many of you in the room. That I think overall, uh, Iowa, University of Iowa is a great example. There's not many people of color, but I think it's a, a great environment, extremely inclusive, tons of resources where you will have a great time and you'll have a great experience because they care about the student and the student learning. And so they put their resources you know, to that. So. I agree, but I think as in terms of clinical education, there is this idea of like essential functions that we have people sign. There is this idea of professional dress. There is this idea of a dress code. Mm -hmm. and, so I th and I think that's very white middle class. And I think as we're getting more inclusive, we're trying to change wording so it includes people like, you know, it used to say things like can sit on the floor and can have easy mobility so that you can run right behind a kid. And so then what about a person in a wheelchair? So I think it is trying to, we're trying to be more inclusive, but I don't think we're there yet fully. Like I think there are still people that think of professionalism as dress modestly and sit, act in a certain way. Don't cross your legs when you sit. And just things that I didn't even realize until I was teaching that you're not, when you're in an interview, you're not supposed to cross your legs because that's shows like, the nonverbal cue of something, and I was like, "Is that is that, that is that to our field or is that across?" It's I mean, across all fields, but the essential functions document and professionalism and dress code and stuff is very much our field, and it's a conversation that's constantly being had in, um, in 
some places. And, um, and I, you know, I agree with you because maybe the students aren't as bad, but definitely if you go to Asha and you look like me, like I have like shaved, I have dreadlocks on the top of my head, the side of my head is shaved. I'll have like a design etched into it. And my first year, I know not only would white people, black people be like, child, you can't show up at this place like this. We got all these pearls and pumps up in here. They're gonna think that you're like doing something like you're not supposed to be doing. But now I don't, I mean, I didn't care then. I don't care now, but I think that I can get away with not caring now because I feel like I've made a name for myself where I'm giving a quality talk regardless of what I look like. But I don't know that that's particular. I agree with you. I don't know that it's uh, just that I don't know that it's unique to our field, but I do think women and oh gosh, I'm going to get skewered for this one. I think women can often be more problematic for judging other women than men will. The most of the comments that I got about what I was wearing or what I or whatever was often were from women. They weren't from guys. The ones that they thought I was trying to seduce or something like it wasn't the guys walking up to me going, now, you know, that skirt's too short. Right. They weren't saying anything at all. It was the women who was saying that to me. So if 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 there is anything that comes to our field, it could very well be that since we have such a predominantly female field, maybe we're more judgmental about each other because we're worried, quote, I'm, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned that other people, well, then why don't you just tell them to fuck off? Don't tell me to change. If other people are saying this about me, tell them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. What are you talking about? You're, are you concerned or do you just want to talk? Right. I think that's it, right? Like you, you, just want, you just want to talk and act like the person who's concerned when really we should just, if it's really nothing, make it nothing. Don't even bring it to me because right now you're, you're bringing it in my head. I don't even want to hear that. Right. I always had locks. I've had locks. I've had locks since I started, since undergrad. Dreadlocks. Locks. Well, some people don't know what you mean by that. Dreadlocks. I don't identify my hair as dreadlocks. Okay. All right. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. The level of identification is hardcore. Locks. Your intersectionality. I know, right? It goes to the hair, to the follicle. But I would say seeing you, you know, bold red lips. That, you know, so oh, oh, okay, okay. Locks similar to mine. There was a point where I'm like, yo, I never thought about it, and, but I did, I did have this, I never really thought about it, but then I, as I see you at a conference presenting, hair looks like mine, shaved head, bold lip, like bold lips, big earrings, and I'm like, yo, she's giving me permission that I can do this. And it was, it was never a conversation, but it was like, you know what? Fuck, if she canceled, so can I. Yeah. Uh, and that was... I think that's probably one experience where I thought about my blackness, where I'm like, oh, I can actually express myself however I choose to express it. It will be welcomed if, if you want it to be. You know when I think about my blackness? I think about my blackness when I want to go take a dump in a public bathroom. I'm not lying. And I have on sandals and I'm the only black person yes, on that floor. And everyone's going to know by looking at the top of my foot. Damn, she left a hot mess in that bathroom. <laughs> and I'm like, do I have to wear running shoes to the fucking bathroom right now? Because I, I want the privilege of being inconspicuous when no, I'm sucks. on the toilet. Yeah. Is this too much to ask? I'm serious. I think I need to put on some like giant socks or like slippers. They're going to be like, oh, she won't put on her slippers. We know it's her. You know what I mean? Like, I can't get away from it. <laughs> Anyway, guys, this is a good conversation. I feel like this Thank is part you. one. Uh, and we're going to have a hashtag SLP, so fill in the blank. 
for several more. You guys were candid. I loved it. I was worried it was going to be like, I don't want to offend, but we've we'll talked about my turds, which are also brown, by the way, because that I had some, uh, you know, some greens. I've cursed a lot. Um, you've cursed a lot. I curse a lot. Leash. And these are just our our oh own God. opinions. My Jessica Forbes <laughs> disclose. Yes, Wait, all the disclaimers <laughs> coming out now. Okay, so my dis- thoughts only represent mine. I do not. These represent, are my own. Yeah, I do not represent the uh, the black community whatsoever. My experience is is only mine, and that's it. Oh wait, can I just say something about that? I used to think of my blackness when I used to say something and people would say, she speaks on behalf of them. And now I'm just like, if you're dumb enough to think that I can represent that many people, God damn it, you're an idiot. Like seriously, you can't possibly think that because I said something, this is how black people feel. But I no longer carry that weight. I no, no longer feel like, well, I have to act this way because they might think so and so. Let me just tell you this. I can be, I would be at a highfalutin faculty meeting at Hopkins. I don't care if Ray Ray comes in selling CDs from out his trunk. Is this, are you, do you know him? If you think I know Ray Ray right now, this is your problem and not mine. But then it's like, well, Chip, I mean, maybe. Do you know, do you you know Hitler? I mean, like what, what am I going to associate with you? You don't want to hear that. So, right. Anyway, Leash, you got some closing words for us? Well, it's really funny because one common thing I hear from you guys are like people of different races or that are minorities, they always like laugh and joke and kind of complain that they're always asked to speak on behalf of their people. Right. Like, and, um, and I never really understood this until today when I was like invited on this podcast to speak on behalf of white people. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. this is what this feels like. Yeah. Get it right. <laughs> and I felt, um, I felt a lot of pressure, but then I also was like, there's no way, you know, that my experience, and I was just like, oh, yeah, like, this is how they feel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, guys, thank you for joining. Um, I was just going to say that this is a, hopefully, we'll start, the whole point this is just to put a drop in the water. Maybe the ripples will mean that there will be little conversations everywhere. Maybe there's a student who never thought that anyone could even think these things that they're thinking as they're walking up to this class and going, oh. You know, maybe there are also white students who are going, huh, that's interesting. I never thought that I'd like to share my story. I have a story. I have a story, too. It's not just the minorities. <laughs> right. Um, any closing words from you guys? No, No. thank you for having me. My, my closing words will be this is that I think especially. Oh, sorry. Am I talking at the same time? No, go for it. Okay. No, I was just going to say, I think especially as I'm representing all of white people that um <laughs> Uh, I think white people specifically get really uncomfortable having these conversations. And I recall a really um, good TED talk that was talking about diversity. And, you know, the one thing the speaker said is that we don't need to make these conversations comfortable. We just need to be comfortable with the uncomfortable and just being able to talk candidly and have these conversations. And I think regardless of the content that we've talked about today, I, I hope that, people listening can just appreciate that it's really not, it doesn't need to be uncomfortable to talk about race and to talk about these issues. And that I think one of the most interesting things that I heard from you guys is that, you know, you said things like, oh gosh, I'm going to piss off, you know, some of our people or Mm -hmm. something like that, that even within a minority and within a community that people are going to have really different opinions about race and 
these conversations and um and it's really important to hear that so yeah. be comfortable with the uncomfortable that's right if this is kind of rubbing you the wrong way then i feel like we've done our job yeah right well thanks guys let's yeah. can we all hold hands and hold up our letters and sing we are the world together <laughs> no no okay just thought i'd put that in there thanks leash <laughs> nice chatting with you okay bye Stop, stop to the tick tock, get on, stop, stop to the tick tock, get on, stop, stop to the tick